Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, a weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hotchberg, and this is episode number 404. With cruises restarting this summer, like in the Bahamas, getting there requires a few different extra steps than even they would have been before all of this. But this week, we're going to talk about how to get to the Bahamas, how to clear all those hurdles to get you on board your cruise. Here we go. This summer, we're going to have cruises restarting. Finally, I'm so excited. But you know what? There's going to be changes, obviously. And one of the changes is probably going to be how to get to our cruise ships. With Royal Caribbean sailing out of places like the Bahamas this summer, there's going to be some new changes to that whole procedure of getting to a cruise. And I thought in this week's episode, we talk a little bit about getting to our cruise ship in the Bahamas for people that are sailing on adventure of the seas like me. Yes, this is a self-serving episode, but I think there's some helpful information for everybody here. And uh, joining me on today's episode is uh, Nick Casale, who uh, is from good old St. Pete, Florida, who recently went to the Bahamas and uh, shared some information about, is going to share information with us, I should say, about his experience there. Nick, welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Now, I need to preface this by saying, when Nick and I said, let's record a podcast, this episode is almost already out of date because um, (laughs) the Bahamas actually announced that fully vaccinated adults will not need to get a PCR test to enter the country. Now, I need to be very clear about this. Number one, as of recording this podcast, this is something the Bohemian Prime Minister announced. I don't believe it's been updated on the Bahamas website or they're in the process of doing so. Uh, And number two, we should also specify Royal Caribbean ha- is going to have its own set of protocols. So you may still need to get a test regardless with Royal Caribbean, but that's today we're talking about essentially how as an American to get from the United States into the Bahamas and then keeping in mind, there may be another process or eight waiting for you to actually get on the ship. So I want to make that very clear because I know that when I was just talking with friends and family here, um, that, that kind of distinction is a little hard to understand because Nick getting into the Bahamas, they have their own health visa protocols that are going to be in addition to whatever Royal Caribbean is going to require, which is something completely different. That's correct. So what, what, let's start off at the very beginning here, Nick, why did you, uh, you went to the Bahamas recently, essentially you're doing a vacation or a work trip. Yeah, actually we were going to go down to South beach, um, for a few days and it was kind of that madness when South beach was having all those curfews put in place a few weeks ago. So we were staying at a Hyatt in South Beach, and I was using some points. So we just pivoted and looked, hey, where can we get to that's pretty close to Florida? And we chose the Grand Hyatt Baja Mar. Oh, nice. That's a great hotel. And a lot of people I know that are booked oh, yeah. on Adventure of the Seas are looking to stay there before or after or both um, of their sailing. So uh, Baja Mar is a little drive out past where the port, where the ships dock at the port. I've actually uh, driven past it. It's, it's not that far. It's just you can't walk there. Right. No, it's actually closer to the airport than to the port. Yeah, exactly. So um, it, it's definitely an option there. So let's start off with the basics. So again, notwithstanding the changes the Bahamas is making with their rules, because keeping in mind, by the way, while the Bahamas did announce that they are going to not require fully vaccinated adults to get a PCR test to get in the country, kids may still need to get the PCR test. There are some ages that are exempt, and you actually, Nick, have... Uh, 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 I believe a, a a child as well, right? Yeah, we have a uh, one and a half year old. Cool. And so, um, when we went to the Bahamas, he was exempt. So actually, 
he beat my wife and I, he got his travel visa approved before either of us because we did not have to submit a test for him. Ah, because he doesn't have to get one. Right. So, um, right. you know, I guess my advice is everything Nick is about to tell you was for when he went, when adults required it. But keeping in mind, by the way, that this may still apply to some people or they may change the rule altogether. Who knows? So just want to preface all of this. So, Nick, how did you approach this? Because in order to get into the Bahamas, you have to get a negative PCR test within a certain time frame before your flight. You can't get it like three weeks beforehand. It doesn't do anybody any good. Correct. So you have to get the test, not only take the test fast enough, but get the results back fast enough. So what was your approach for this? Yeah, that was something that was a little concerning, especially since we uh, kind of changed our plan so quickly. So we actually decided uh, the Sunday before that we were going to the Bahamas and we were going to leave that Friday. Um, so we had a very quick turnaround time to be eligible to get the travel visa. So what we did, I, I was actually looking into some CVSs and I saw some had rapid tests, but that is not the PCR test that they require. Um, but there was another local CVS that was doing PCR tests just right through their drive through pharmacy. And they actually said, you could expect the results in one to two days. So that kind of gave me or put me at ease that we would get the results back um, in time. Uh, we actually took the test Sunday. Our appointment was around 2.30 in the afternoon. And I had the results into my email by Tuesday morning around right before noon. So just a little under 48 hours. And that, that's fantastic because honestly, my thought process, Nick, was like no matter where I was going to get the test, 48 hours was pretty much the top of the threshold that I would do because the idea is that if I don't get it in time or God forbid it comes back and, you know, positive or something like that, you have enough time to still take another test and get the results back. Sure. That's right. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So CVS did a great job. I, I would highly recommend them. We, I've also used Pixel by LabCorp and they're the tests that they actually send to your house. Oh. And you drop off in a FedEx bin. And when I did some of those tests for, um, work and things like that, they came back probably within a day or two. So it actually was a little quicker than CBS. See, that's interesting. I know there are a lot of these, actually. In fact, uh, for people who are going on vision of the seas out of Bermuda, the Bermudian government actually, Bermudian, is that the right word? I don't know. The government of Bermuda said that they've actually had on their website, they recommend a at-home test you can get from Costco. And I just, like, to me, it's like, how can that possibly be faster than a test in which your result, like, they take the sample, like, right then and there, and they're you know what I mean? Like, it's just, I understand right. that it's probably like overnight shipping, but it's just, I don't know, something about that. I've got a mental disconnect on that. So it sounds <laughs> like uh, either one has worked for you. Yes, both. I've received results back rather quickly. So if you're, they're the two I would recommend, either Pixel by LabCorp, uh, which, you know, just gets shipped right to your house. Now, if you do do that test, you have to keep in mind that once you uh, go on their website to order the kit, it takes a couple of days to ship it to you. So order it well in advance, but you can have it at your house and then just do the test and drop it right on a FedEx Dropbox. So what was the turnaround time for that for the Pixel one? Um, it probably takes them about two to three business days to ship the test to your house and it comes FedEx. Oh, no, I'm sorry. And uh, to, to get the results you, back. Uh, probably one, one to two days. Oh, wow. Okay. So that's another option. And by the way, this the decision may also be dictated by where you live. If you live in a large metro area, you may have far more access to testing sites that can do rapid stuff. Like if you live around New York City, as an example, or Miami, or you know, insert other big city here, there's a lot more options than if you live, you know, a little further away, where like driving an hour or two to get a place that guarantees test results within 48 hours. 
the at-home one maybe actually be your best shot. Right. Agree. Um, how many of these, by the way, it's out, so you did more than one trip. How many trips to the Bahamas have you taken since the pandemic? Just one to the Bahamas, but uh, I actually travel quite a bit for work. So uh, whenever I go travel for work, especially in the beginning of the pandemic, I would just make sure I take a test before going back out again. Good. And the other thing, uh, something else I thought about, what about cost, Nick? Uh, actually, they all, every test I've done has been free. And I've seen on my insurance carrier side that they do bill uh, Cigna, who I have for my insurance, at like about 100 bucks to uh, for, for any of these tests. But even if you didn't have any insurance, it would be covered for free. Is there any requirement to tell them, like, this is for travel, thus I need it faster than somebody who just wants to, you know, get a test for other reasons? No, not in my uh, experience so far. Okay, that's good to know. And um, I had another question about the test and I completely forgot. It'll come back to me in a second. <laughs> so uh, you get the test and then you get the mm-hmm. results back. And then basically, yep. how do you get the test results to the Bahamas? Because part of the process is you need to go to the, the Bahamas travel website and Correct. register for a travel visa. Yep. I think if you just Google Bahamas travel visa, it'll bring you right to their main page. And you can create an account ahead of time. So you can go create a user ID and password. And once you get into that site, uh, the first thing it asks you for is your travel details in, in terms of like your personal information, like name. Um, address, things like that. And it also asks you to upload a picture of your passport. So you can get all that done ahead of time and basically get to the point where you are at the upload for the test. And it's same thing. You can just take a screenshot or have a PDF copy of your test result and upload it into there. And it just asks you the date that you got the test and uh, asks you to fill out the laboratory information. So like what laboratory process the test. And once you do that, you submit it and then the visa will say pending. So um, I guess someone has to manually check it to make sure it's the right test and things like that. Uh, When we put ours in, we did them around three o'clock in the afternoon on that Tuesday. And I had the approval by nine o'clock that night. So it only took about six hours or so. And at that point, it says you're approved and now go in and pay your fee to get the actual travel visa issued to you. And once you pay the fee, it's instantaneous. It just issues to you. Nice. That's fantastic. That's really good to hear. So mm-hmm. let's go now to you're on the travel day. You go to the airport. What's that process yep. like, Nick? What, what, what airline did you fly? And talk to us about um, what did you have to show anything like at the airport? Do you show it when you get to the Bahamas? How does that all work? Yeah, it's a good question, too. So once we got to we started out from Tampa International and I actually had a connect in Miami. But when we were checking some luggage into into, um, the gate or into the check in area and getting our boarding passes, the the first thing the airline asked for was a um, uh, our travel visa. So they made sure you had the travel visa issued to you before they even printed out your boarding pass. So that, that was kind of the first line of defense for ensuring that you had a travel visa. Once we got to the Bahamas, uh, there was just like the regular customs paperwork that you have to fill out, like a one-page customs sheet that you fill out on the plane. Once we got up to the customs person upon arrival into Nassau, he asked for our customs paperwork as well as our test. And I just showed him the test on my phone. 
So for all three of us that were traveling and um, he just looked at all three and then stamped our passports and we were on our way. That's fantastic. So I'm assuming you flew to Miami, you flew on American? Correct. On American Airlines. Okay, cool. So the process is pretty straightforward. Um, It's just, it's your general customs process coming to international country, but with that added thing, and they're going to ask for it in the, uh, in the airport. Did you have to show them the, did you just show in the airport in Tampa what you showed the guy on your phone or did you have to actually produce the visa? No, I just showed on my phone. So I didn't have anything printed out. Okay. Um, once you once you have that travel visa, it comes as like a green, like a, it's like a green screen with like a QR code. And uh, that's what you show to to everybody. Cool. Now, in your email to me, Nick, uh, getting out of NASA, not so easy, huh? Oh, boy. Yeah, this is something that I will say. So I've been to NASA before by air um, for a work trip, actually, about two years ago. And it brought back really bad memories going back to the Nassau airport for departure back to the United States. And for those that aren't aware, Nassau is one of the airports in the world that has um, U.S. customs preclearance. So meaning that you actually clear U.S. customs in Nassau before boarding your plane to back to the U.S. mainland. So in our case, we were going back to Miami. Once we landed in Miami, you did not have to go through customs. You just were let out into the main terminal in Miami and could just go on to your connecting flight. So with that, there is some extra lines that you have to wait in. And the first part about the Nassau airport on the way out is the um, check-in line. And American, I have some um, status with them just for flying frequently through, through work. So for me, the check-in process was relatively easy. We just checked in with the um, with the gate or the agent, and the first thing they asked us for it was a copy of our negative COVID test to enter back into the U.S. So they were the ones that actually verify that you received that negative test. Now, if you are staying at the Baja Mar, they quick test you upon arrival, and then also you can just go down anytime for your return test, which has to be done. Uh, 72 hours or less before your plane departure time. Um, After we checked in with the agent, we made our way to security. I just want to say, if you are flying on Bahamas Airlines, just give yourself even extra, extra time because all of their check-in process is manual. So there's no computers or anything. You have to wait in a really long line. I felt bad for all the people that were in the Bahamas airline line. And uh, that was actually the airline I flew back on my first trip to the Bahamas. And it was not fun coming home. Um, But once you do check in, you make your way to security. And I would say from entering the security line to getting past security, probably took about 50 minutes. And then once we were past security, going from security through U.S. Customs and Border Protection was probably another 45 minutes. Wow. But this allowed you, again, the the advantage here is that when you got to the United States, you did not have to go through immigration. That's correct. Okay. So you're just But if you don't know that ahead of time and you're like, you're, you're, say you're a frequent flyer, right? And you know, like, oh, I just have to get at the airport, you know, an hour ahead of time. I don't need to get there early with departure from the Bahamas. Make sure you're not booking those cruise flights out early. Like, you know, when some people are used to coming back into Miami or Fort Lauderdale and they're saying, you know, can I make a 10 30, 11 a.m. flight? Well, sure. If you carry off all your luggage from the ship, 
you can get over to the Miami airport and make a 10, 30, 11 a.m. flight, no problem. For this, though, and I don't know what time we'll be debarking from adventure or how slow that process is going to be, because um, I'm actually sailing with you, Matt, I think on the June 12th uh, sailing. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, it might be a, a more tedious process than we're used to. Yep. And I want to um, quantify something. You mentioned, of course, Bahamas Airlines. And Bahamas Airlines is actually a, one of the airlines I know Royal Caribbean is partnering with to help bring some prices down. I know some people who, who are booked on Bahamas Airlines. I mean, I guess your advice really is just, just just give yourself time. It's not that it's a mistake to fly with Bahamas Airlines. It's no. Just yeah, just give yourself time. And I'm sure the flights that are being booked through Air to Sea, they'll you know protect you either way. Yep. But if you're just booking a flight out, like I, when I was booking my return flight, um, back from Nassau to Tampa after our cruise in June, uh, I picked the 150 departure just to give us some extra time. Mm-hmm. Good. Well, that, and that's good to hear. You know, here's a question I've seen a lot on on social media about the Bahamas. You can answer this one. In terms of you you arrive in the Bahamas, you clear everything, you're all done. You're you're on the curb now. Would you my my thought was to just simply cab, taxi. Mm-hmm. Is that is that mm-hmm. cool? Like people are some people get a little worried about transportation and prearranging something, but I'm always at the opinion to just grab a taxi. What was, what was your thoughts? What did you experience? Yeah. When we were there for, um, when we just went to Bahamar, they actually picked us up. The Hyatt picked yep. us up. So we had prearranged transportation and that was a very simple process, but just going out of the airport, there were plenty of, um, taxis and things like that, that could take you wherever you wanted to go. Our issue with a one and a half year old is I always have to make sure that we, cause we don't like lugging the big car seat with us. So I always have to make sure whatever driver we have has a car seat. So for our cruise in June, I prearranged through a taxi service in Nassau to pick us up and then to bring us back after the cruise is over. And they're, you know, making sure that we have a car seat in that taxi. Cool. I'm, gl- I'm glad to hear that. And the, uh, I, I don't recall if you mentioned this, but you, you're going back to again, leaving the Bahamas, um, you're saying like you said in the email, when they say be at the airport three hours ahead of time, that's no joke. You would recommend being there three hours ahead of time in order to make sure that you have enough time to clear customs and all that. At least two and a half. Yep. And I, and I'm not usually one to say that, but for, for Nassau and just for the influx of people that are going to be going to the airport on that departure day, just make sure that you have plenty of time. Yep. It seems like the airport's definitely busiest there, you know, between like 11 and three, like that zone. Fantastic. And of course, you know, Nick's, this is, this one is just one trip Nick took. He's been to the Bahamas a couple different times. So this is, uh, yep. this is not just COVID stuff. This is like, you know, not a one-off. So some, some good advice there. And I'm sure that'll help some folks out there. Uh, and by the way, if you did book your flights with air to sea, you can still change some of those options, I believe. So look into that. If you did book maybe a too early flight or you're concerned, there are options available for you as well. Um, so it's, I mean, it sounds like it's just, you know, you need to be properly prepared. And the good news is, and like I said, we talked about this at the beginning, if they don't require uh, tests to get into the Bahamas um, because we're fully vaccinated, that would certainly help a lot in terms of making sure that it just makes your life a little bit easier to get there. Now, of course, there could still be tests to get onto the ship. That's a different process, but that's right. a discussion for a different day. Yep. And I'm, I'm assuming they're probably going to rapid test us. And what they were doing at Baja Mar is they had a, um, a hospital that I guess is popular in the Bahamas. I think it was called doctors or physicians, one of those two. 
um, and they were doing all the tests. And we got the results back from the quick test by between 20 and 30 minutes. Okay. So that they actually made us wait in our room. We couldn't leave until our tests came back negative. And that was a quick test. As long as you're waiting in air conditioning, I don't care where they put me. Exactly, exactly. Yep. That's fantastic. Well, it's uh, and then you, one other thing I want to talk about, Nick, was also you mentioned something about the Bohemian rules about COVID protocols. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Uh, the They're doing things pretty similar to um, the rest of the United States. So they do require masks um, if you are not eating or drinking. So in all public areas, you do have to wear a mask. And, you know, that definitely rang true at the Bahamar. And they, like if you did by accident have your mask down, um, if an employee saw you, they would ask you to, to put it back on. So they, they are being pretty strict about, um, you know, distancing and wearing masks. So uh, just expect that once you get to the Bahamas. Fantastic. Well, Nick, I'm looking forward to to meeting you on board the ship, and uh, yeah, it sounds like it'll be a little bit easier, not only because the Bohemians have uh, relaxed some of their conditions, but also because I think this information is really helpful, and it certainly for myself as well. It's just good to hear from someone who's gone through this process a couple times, and more and more importantly, recently since COVID. So this is really good stuff. Nick, thanks again for joining us here on the podcast. Yeah, thanks, Matt, for having me. All right, guys, time to answer some more listener emails. This is the part of the episode where I answer the emails you've sent in. And if you want to send me your emails, you can always send them to Matt at Royal Caribbean blog.com. Matt at Royal Caribbean blog.com. I wanted to bring up uh, an email or two from uh, in response to last week's episode because it's more fresh in our minds right now. And our first email is from Linda who writes, Hey, Matt, I listen to your podcast content while I walk and watch your video content with husband whenever he asks me. So what's the latest? I just finished listening to the What's Happening with the CDC episode. First impression, that was the mildest rant I've ever heard, but good for you for staying totally professional. I, too, have been patiently forgiving, patient and forgiving with the CDC as Disney World opened, airlines never stopped, and hotels welcomed guests continuously, uh, giving them the benefit of the doubt. I must say I've lost my patience when I saw two things happen this week that I did not hear you mention. Number one, the CDC issuing a warning to people visiting St. Vincent regarding the danger of COVID-19 on board cruise ships. Isn't the CDC a U.S. organization? Isn't the danger of gaseous air and hot lava much worse than getting COVID from an empty cruise ship with fully vaccinated crew? My degree way back when is in journalism and public relations. I'm deeply embarrassed at the lack of honesty and what I feel is a symbolic relationship, symbiotic relationship between the CDC and the media. I was sad to see Michael Bailey's post about truth in journalism when they reported that Royal Caribbean had rushed to help people of St. Vincent only to tell them they were not permitted to onboard without being fully vaccinated. Not only was this not true, I'm betting that the negative COVID test required to board and be transported to safety or receive food and clean water was done with test kits brought there by Royal Caribbean. Wow. Infinite patience and professionalism by modeled by Richard Fain and Michael Bailey. When I was at university, if I were to submit stories like these without checking all the facts, I would have received a failing grade. And number two, if this wasn't enough salt rubbing in the wounds, I then saw, quote, serious warnings against traveling to the Bahamas reiterated by the CDC. No sooner does Royal Caribbean restart cruise from Nassau, and this warning is intensified and fed again to the media. Do the COVID cases in Nassau warrant this severe or serious warning? My father had a saying I remember when I was younger. He had to do something with urinating in someone else's breakfast cereal. Embarrassed, I find myself quoting him now. <laughs> anyway, uh, Linda, thanks for the email. Uh, I, I appreciate the the, the the words of support there. I, I just, uh, t- the, the overall sentiment I, I wanted to share again about that rant that I had, even though Linda didn't think it was much of a rant, was just that 
I, I just think that the, again, throughout the process, the CDC has always had a double standard with the cruise lines, even going back to early 2020. The difference here in April, late April, early May, 2021, is that that double standard is ginormous now. And it, I just don't understand it. It's one thing to err on the side of caution. It's another to just treat the cruise industry in a completely different fashion that has nothing to do with the way that they're being treating every other aspect of leisure travel out there. And that's what really gets to me. And that's what I'm just, I, I shake my head constantly about this. And whether it is the, what happened with St. Vincent or these warnings, I, yeah, I, I wish I, I don't want to go too much on that tangent again, but uh, yeah, it is what it is. So I uh, appreciate it, Linda. Thanks for the email. Next email is from Christian uh, Rice. Hi, Matt. Can you tell me anything about Serenade of the Seas in terms of what it's good for kids on the ship? I'm looking for that cruise for Alaska, August 21st, 2022. My kids will be 14, 12, and 8. Does it have a water slide, number one? And number two, does it have a glass dome over the main pool or is the glass dome for adults only? Any other ships I should consider? Problem is my uh, my, my dates are not flexible. I, ne I need to either embark on August 21st or 22nd. I can make an August 20th work, but I can't fly to Seattle or Vancouver till the 20th, but I think I could fly in uh, August 20th and then embark on Sunday the 21st. Kristen, thanks for the email. Great question. So, uh, Serenade of the Seas has a water slide, but it's just for small kids. Your eight-year-old might still find it enjoyable. The 14, 12-year-old will be too big for it. Uh, the ratings class had water slides. They're the only ships that had water slides for real coming for a while. It's on, it's on the back of the aft of the, uh, top pool deck and it's, it's a kiddie slide, Kristen. It's not like the slides you see on the newer ships or the newer slides they've been adding. It is, it's a kiddie slide. Again, your eight year old probably could be fine on that. I think it would be a little tame for them, but it's still fun. I have a 10 year old that probably wouldn't mind going down that thing, but it's a kiddie slide. It's not the 14 and 12 year old may not, maybe just simply too tall in order to actually go on they won't be like they're physically prevented from going on it never mind i think it would be just juvenile for them so no it doesn't have it number two there is a glass enclosure for the solarium the adults only area not the main pool so when you're in alaska uh I, there's two ways to look at it. number one you're doing a lot in port it's a very port intensive itinerary so don't look at it's like the caribbean where you've got tons of sea days and you're hanging out by the pool a lot doesn't really happen that's number one number two Yes, there will still be people in the pool, actually. There's hot tubs. A lot of, I've, I remember going on Explorer of the Seas to Alaska, and you would see brave souls traversing the, you know, hopping in the hot tub, being perfectly fine in there, and then running <laughs> out of there to get back inside to heat up. And actually, during the summertime, unless you're going in August, it's not as cold as you think. I know I just painted this picture of this frigid temperature. Alaska's temperatures can really vary. We went in, in June and it really, some of the days I was wearing t-shirts. So it's not out of the realms of possibilities that you could be okay in the pool um, while you're in the water anyway. But no, the only enclosed areas would be the solarium. Keeping in mind that sometimes Royal Caribbean will allow kids in the solarium to swim in situations like this where the temperatures are not uh, and the weather is not conducive for swimming in the main pool. It depends. It's just one of those. It depends situations. So, um, you know, obviously I know you have some dates issues there. If you're truly concerned about what the kids have to do, then I would definitely lean towards either quantum or ovation of the seas, quantum class ships, way more for kids to do on board. Do I think kids can have a great time on serenade? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you're doing a lot in port. 
keep that in mind. Look at the itinerary, you're, especially Serenade of the Seas. My goodness, you're going to have an amazing time doing a lot of different things there uh, on board, uh, off the ship. So the ship experience is almost secondary compared to, again, a Caribbean itinerary. So that may not be an issue. But you know your kids better than I do, Kristen. If you're going to get on there and they're going to be like, hey, mom, where's the water slide? Where's, uh, you know, the flow rider? Where, I mean, they have a rock climbing wall. There's still a sports deck on there. There are things, mini golf. There's still things to do. I don't want to characterize this as nothing to do. But if you're watching a real Caribbean TV commercial and then you go on Serenade of the Seas, they're going to be very different experiences. So uh, just something to keep in mind there. But if, you, if this is the only way that can work because of dates-wise, I say go for it. I think your kids will have a great time because, again, you're going for Alaska, not so much the ship. And it's a great ship anyway. So next up, we have an email from... Uh, another Kristen, I think a different Kristen, different, same name, spelled differently, actually, for those who care at home. But anyway, <laughs> Kristen writes, hey, Matt, I booked a 30th birthday cruise on Harmony of the Seas in January 2022. We got the limited dining package because this is my first Royal Caribbean cruise and I'm a foodie. I'd really love to do hibachi, but I know you said that typically it gets booked up prior to embarkation. Is there any way for me to get a reservation using my food package prior to boarding? Thanks for your help. I'm new to this community and I appreciate your podcasts, posts and videos. They've all been very helpful. Chris, thanks for the email. So two things you could do. Number one, you could just wait to get on the ship. In my experience, Kristen, this works. Even with the dining package, as long as you go down there on the first day, you'll probably be okay. It might not be like exactly, you know, if you have a hard set on like, you know, uh, second formal night, eight o'clock, you might not get that, but there will be availability. That being said, if you're saying, Matt, uh, I, I can't do that, Matt. I need to have a reservation. Then this is what you do. Even though you have the dining package, you make a normal reservation. When you get on the ship, you will say, uh, I made a reservation, I paid full for it, but I have a dining package. They will then, or they then should, uh, refund you the difference of the money um, for, for that reservation. You're overpaying, obviously, and then you're gonna get onboard credit back, not cash, keep that in mind as well. I'm not sure that I would do this personally. I think you'll be okay as long as you get on the ship and one of the first things you do on board, not necessarily the first thing, but one of the first things is you go make a reservation for Hibachi. Again, they're open for lunch. They're open for dinner. It's a seven-night cruise. You'll probably have an opportunity or two, in fact, to be able to go there. So it's just kind of a question, you know, in terms of uh, what you're more comfortable with. Also, the size of your group. If you have a lot of people, Chris, if you're, it's your birthday cruise, if it's just you and, you know, a significant other, you know, th you know, two or three or four people, eh, you can you can definitely go it on your own. But if you got a group, if you've got six or eight people, you want to make reservations. You, I, I think it is worth uh, spending extra for on that. So keep that in mind, Kristen, and I hope it works for you. If it were me, here's the last thing I'll say. Now, granted, I've I've dined there before, so it's not we're not exactly apples to apples here. But if it were me, I would wait to get on the ship. I'd make a reservation on board, keeping in mind I have to be a little flexible with the times. I, I have usually had pretty good luck with that. Um, you'd be surprised, actually, how much availability they have. But yes, you will notice if you look at their sheet when they're making the reservation, they do get more booked up than you think. Just don't wait to make the reservations. That's the mistake people make. Oh, I have the inland dining package. I'll make a reservation. And then like day four, they roll around to Hibachi and it's like, hey, we're ready to come here. And they're like, uh, no, we're sold out, dude. So there you go. Kristen, thanks for the email. Uh, we have time for another email or two. And our next email is from Ian. Hey, Matt, my question is related to booking and getting your discounts for all the rooms that you book. While I know you can't get any points for rooms that you book for other people, would it be better for me, who's a platinum member in Crown and Anchor Society, to book my in-laws' rooms with mine since they only have been on one cruise and they're gold members? Second question. We will move to Emerald after our cruise in September, God willing, it happens. Is there a change in discount from tier to tier that would make sense to wait and book after we move up? 
Thanks in advance for your help. And great questions. So you want to know, is it make any sense for you to book the, is it better for you to book as a platinum member, your in-laws? I, uh, the only reason you would want to do that, I suppose, but you'd have to be in the room. I don't think it would work. I was going to say, if you book a balcony room, you get a balcony discount as platinum, whereas they do not, but it doesn't work if you're not in the room. It doesn't apply that way. So no, I don't, can't see that again. Yeah, no, there's, I, no, it doesn't make any sense for you to do that. So no, sorry about that. In terms of, uh, is there a better tier moving from platinum to uh, emerald? Yes. Your balcony discount does go up. It's not a lot. It's like, I think, I don't know, 25 bucks, something like that. But hey, that's money, right? So the answer though is don't wait to book it. Um, when you apply, what you can do is you book the cruise under your platinum discount. Your travel agent will apply it. When you, after you become uh, Emerald, call your travel agent, have them reapply it, they, they fix it. They should have no problem being able to get the new re rate. Um, I think one time in Next Cruise when I was on board, they actually, they trusted me enough. They were like, yeah, we'll give it to you now, but I don't know that they can do that. But anyway, I, I think, I'm, I'm pretty sure about this, Ian, that you could apply the balcony discount as a platinum member. And then later on in between, before your September cruise, you'd be able to reprice it with the, uh, or apply the discount there. I don't think that'd be an issue, even if it's after final payment date. That's the only crux in this scenario. But the thing is, Ian, even if it doesn't, let's assume it doesn't, you you can't do that. I don't think it's a good idea to wait to book the cruise because again, I'm always cognizant and worried about the price going up between now and when you wait to book, thus negating, you know, the 20 or whatever dollars it is Disc, additional discount you're getting as an Emerald member. So I still think your best bet is to always book as early as you can. That'd be my advice. That's what I would do. And uh, see if you can't get them to honor your Emerald status once you become Emerald. So there you go, Ian. Thanks for the email there. And our last email today comes us from comes to us from Julie. Uh, hi, Matt. We have just booked to go on Quantum of the Seas out of Brisbane, Australia in December 2021. Fingers crossed it goes ahead. My question, at the risk of sounding like a complete fatty, are we able to do specialty dining and main dining on the same night. While with only three nights, I want to try Chops and Wonderland, but I love the main dining room food, so I don't miss out on it. Yes, you can, absolutely. There's no one cares where you dine at. Yes, absolutely. Um, the other, the only thing you'll do would be, of course, what time you have dining for in the dining room versus your specialty restaurant. But if you're in my time dining, where you have you know flexible timing, then you're good to go. Uh, Julie says, alternatively, look at doing the key, which includes the Chops lunch. Is the lunch good as the dinner menu? Uh, no, it's the lunch menu. So it's it's a pared down menu, Julie. Uh, there's So it's not the full menu available to you. They're still good, but you're not getting the full menu. There's like only a couple of uh, cuts of meat available to you. Thanks for all you do. I wait all week for new episodes and love your work. Hopefully one day you'll be able to do a group cruise down under. I would love to do that, Julie. Just, you know, <laughs> I mean, forget COVID for a second. I really, really, really don't like do flying. So that's kind of an issue for me. But I think we'll... Uh, I think we'll eventually, someday, possibly once Star Trek transporters get invented, maybe before then, I'll get down to Australia and we'll do a group cruise. My very good friend, uh, Pippa, who's been on the podcast a number of times, is, I swear I get a message every day from her saying, Hi, Matt, when are we get?" <laughs> I'm not going to do the accent. Uh, when, when are you coming down to Australia to do the, uh, to, to do a group cruise? And I'm like, uh, not today, but maybe soon, so... Thanks to everybody for listening to this episode. If you want to send me your email with your question about Royal Caribbean, send it to Matt, M-A-T-T, at royalcaribbeanblog.com. Matt at royalcaribbeanblog.com. So until next time, I'm Matt, and we'll talk again real soon.